Welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt, where we look at the week's financial news that can be a bit confusing, misleading, and take you off course. And we hope to make it actionable, understandable, and clear. We've got a unique week for you on the RHF Market Update. Historically, we've looked at news articles and dissected them, but this week I had so much good data move across my Twitter feed, I just had to devote an entire episode to it. What is on my mind currently, and the data we'll be looking at, is one, the most difficult return periods for various countries and ways that should keep us humble as investors. Two, investing at all-time highs. Doubtless, you've heard it said, we're at all-time highs. I don't want to buy at the top. Is that really wise advice? And then three, I want to look at what rewards are available to investors with discipline. A wonderful chart on that. Okay, so at the top, I want to look at various countries' return profiles and specific moments in history. Okay, I'm going to read the countries to you. You've heard of all these. The countries we're going to look at are Russia, China, Germany, Japan, Austria, France, Italy, another Italy, and France. These are specific returns, okay? What has happened, in my opinion, in the mind and hearts of the American investor is we have become complacent about the risks and equities. Now, this is normal after you have a big run. So yes, stocks are at all-time highs. Yes, 2023 ended up being a very good year if you measure good by market appreciation. Not all of us do. In fact, it should be the case that for those who are buying, 2023 was a bad year. Ah, how's that for a little Jedi mind trick on the stock market? That's right. 2023 was bad for people who were net purchasers of securities and good for those who were net sellers. So we could say, oh, this was that 22% or so run up was, it was bad for someone who wants to buy more stocks in the future because they're now more expensive. But it was good, perhaps for the retiree or someone close to it that plans on selling securities in the future. But I digress. What I have seen, and you might relate to this, is that we've, we've gone risk on here and we haven't quite digested the lessons of financial history. So I want to start with Russia. These are 20 year windows, okay? Russia, this is a real return, cumulative return, from 1900 to 1918, you're down 100%. It's a total wipeout because the Russian Civil War ended with communist rule, debt repudiation, and the destruction of the financial markets in their entirety. Stocks for the long haul indeed. China, 1930 to 1950. Asset markets actually closed during World War II and were destroyed when the communists took over. 100%. Total wipeout. Germany, 1903 to 1923. Weimar hyper, Republic hyperinflation led to a collapse in assets following World War I. 100%. Japan, 1928 to 1948. Japanese markets and currency collapsed as markets reopened post World War II and inflation soared. Down 96%. Could you hold on? We're going to talk about Japan later. Because check out this for Japan. This is another data set I found. Jap the Japanese dark market made a 60-fold return from 1970 to 1981. That's 23% a year for 20 years. Then, from 1990 to 2023, it made just 1.19% a year. Well, that's basically flat. 
Now that's some volatility. So you still want to buy stocks for that house you're going to buy in three years? That's the planning concept I'm getting with Austria. 1903 to 1923, down 95%. Similar to the Weimar Germany. France, 1930 to 1950, down 93%. The Great Depression, followed by World War II and German occupation, led to poor returns. Yeah, that'll happen. Italy, 1928 to 1948, same as a lot of the Axis powers. The Italian markets collapsed as World War II concluded, only down 87%. The poor Italians, 1907 to 1927, post-World War I, Italy suffered from economic depression and high inflation, which led to Mussolini's rise, and we're down 84%. And then France, 1906 to 1926, World War I, France's inflation, currency crisis in the early 20s. So I give you those stories to help us, particularly Americans. I know we've got some Spanish listeners out there. Thank you. Bienvenidos again. We should be real careful when stocks are up 23% about our decision-making capabilities. I liken it to the man at the bar who's had three drinks. I'm not saying you're totally drunk. I'm just saying some of your cognitive faculties have been dulled and your confidence is high. Okay, so what, what do we do to combat that? I find history helpful because, by the way, I'm the same way as you. I've had the same three drinks. Same, up 23%. I'm no different. I have to go back into financial history and say, okay, 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 slow down. Um, I can't just be so optimistic that I don't think bad things can ever happen. So that means I might need to hold cash. I might need to <gasps> hold bonds. Everybody hates bonds. Can't get anyone to buy bonds. But uh, you're going to need them. Cash is like oxygen. This is an old Warren Buffett quote. When you have it, you don't think anything about it. And when you don't have it, it's all you can think about. Right? When you're breathing in oxygen, when's the last time you were grateful for the oxygen you breathed in? Not a lot. But if you try to swim under a pool, back and forth, you think about that oxygen because you don't have it. Same with cash. Same with financial calamities. You, you've got to be steeled and ready for them. Okay. In line with this investing hubris that I'm picking up on, in my own heart, and in the hearts of those I see regularly, and perhaps in yours as well. On, on Twitter, J.P. Morgan Private Bank has data that um, they put out. A gentleman named Peter Maluk tweeted this. This is the average cumulative S&P 500 total returns, January 1, 1988 to present. What they're saying is, what were your returns if you invested in just any old day, any old day, over one, three, and five year, or you invested at the all-time highs? Okay, so this is going to be a little confusing, but just think about it this way. Would it be better to invest at all-time highs or a randomly assigned day? That's what this data is trying to do. And the, the lesson that the data is trying to teach us is that, oh, it's actually not a big deal to invest at all-time highs at all. Times highs at all. In fact, it might actually be better. Here's the data shows. If you invested at all-time highs, your one-year returns were about 3% higher than any old day. Your three-year returns were about 11% higher than any old day. Your five-year returns were about 7% higher. I look at that not to say, oh, great, it's a market momentum strategy, although that's part of what it portends. No, I look at that to say, keep being agnostic as the market level and invest. Don't do what I'm tempted to do. Perhaps you're tempted to do is say, yikes, yeah, things are a little hot. Let's wait for a little pullback here. Let's wait for just a little pullback. 
Well, what does the data show? That doesn't work at all. Um, and as part of this, this episode-long Robert's Corner, I will confess to my own failures in this area. I, I recall with great clarity, I believe it was 2012 or 13, and it's time to invest. I was supposed to invest, but you, you know what had happened between like, it was like, I'm looking at the data, it's like 2012, 2013, the market was up like, I mean, it was up like 15% or something. And the market had just been down horribly, obviously, you remember the 2009, 10. So I'm, I'm anchored towards, <laughs> don't trust this market, right? You've heard me lambast that philosophy, don't trust this market, but that's what I felt. Feelings, you see, our feelings betray us. So what I wanted to do was, uh, let's just wait. Let's just wait. But I had someone wiser than me override me and just say, hey, man, just invest. Who cares? Be agnostic. And aren't I glad that occurred? Because if you invested at the end of 2012, instead of doing what I would have done, which is market time, because I'm a flawed investor, uh, you're in much better shape. Just tail as old as time. Just invest when you can. Don't overthink it. And that's what this data shows. But the temptation I'm seeing now is it's it's a dual temptation. Not only is there temptation for hubris because the market's been up, there's also temptation to say, oh, you know, let's wait on it. Let's wait on this market. It's a little toppy, a little heavy, a little frothy. You've perhaps heard that. These words mean nothing. Uh, this data set tells us uh, just invest when you can. Don't don't overthink it. And I've had to tell myself this lesson because I think the same thing. Now, unless you're in international stocks, nothing frothy, toppier about it. There's a different lesson for those poor souls of which I'm one. You, you've almost got to convince yourself that um, tomorrow is a better day. But for domestic returns, S&P 500, whew, that's the temptation. It's for the investor to just wait on it. Just wait on it. Don't push it. Steady in as she goes. That doesn't work. And then a great graphic put out by a group called Meredith Wealth Planning. I, I enjoy that follow on Twitter. This is um, MSCI Data. I think that stands for Morgan Stanley Composite Index Data. 2023, all rights reserved. Headline here, Markets Have Rewarded Discipline. What this chart shows is the growth of a dollar in that MSCI World Index. They're including dividends, 1970 to 2022. And this chart lists all the calamities that occurred from 1970 to 2022. And I want you to guess, what do you think one dollar did invested in 1970? What do you think it's worth today? Think about it. 80 bucks. 80 bucks. There are a whole host of endowments and pools of capital that would have been delighted for that outcome. But along the way, oh, and it's brutal. So <laughs> let me just explain some of the brutality. If you invested that $1 in 1970, you know what it was worth in about 1976? Like 80, 80 cents. You were doing nothing. The Arab oil embargo, oil prices quadruple, the S&P 500 goes down 43%, and there you are. There you are. Everyone tells you you're a fool for owning equities. And then the Business Week's Death of Equities article comes out in the late 70s. 
Gold hits its record high in 1980. U.S. inflation hits 13.5% in 1982. But you're all you're on your way. Your one dollars. It's a logarithmic scale, but I can estimate it's probably at three bucks now. That's a long time. That's a long time. You then shift over. You have the Dow dropping 23% on Black Monday. That's 1987. The savings and loan crisis in the late 80s. Iraq decides to invade Kuwait, 1991, and yet you've hung in there. You're like at nine dollars. The income tax rates shoot up at about 93, 94. But here comes the Asian currency crisis in uh, 96, 97, and the Russian financial crisis. Can't forget that. Late 90s, Y2K scare. I remember that. I remember being fearful of going to a party that night. That's what young, gosh, what was that, 15-year-old Robert Hunt was thinking. I got spooked by it. Dot-com stock crash occurs, but okay, you're you're like $20 now. Then you have 9-11. Then the Iraq War begins. Then Hurricanes Katrina and Rita hit. We're up to 08 now, but here comes the subprime mortgage crisis. The S&P 500 falls down 46%. You then have the Eurozone debt crisis. You then have a U.S. home price bottoming. People are scared about the fiscal cliff. We're now in 2012-13. Then you have Brexit. Then, 2020, you have a COVID-19 pandemic. But if you held on, you actually did okay. But I see this as a reason to be humble as an investor. Set up systems that do not give you the keys so that you can move the steering wheel. Because nobody's going to make it through this, institution or individual. This is too much. This is too much. The best way to navigate a time period like this, a 50-year time period, and oh, by the way, we could have we could have snapshotted any 50-year time period. Our, our financial data gets pretty poor into the late 1800s, but we could have. We could have. We could at least on a historical timeline and showed calamities across the globe, and it would have looked something like this. There aren't, there aren't 50-year periods that are just smooth sailing. That's just not how it works, this side of the Garden of Eden. And so... I look at something like this and I say, oh, wow, I have incredible sympathy for an institution or an individual that totally quit on stocks. And oh, by the way, I think sometimes, sometimes that's a permissible decision. I will have some folks I work with who own no stocks. <gasps> How can that be? How can you have, aren't you a financial advisor that promotes the merits of index funds and investing for yourself? Well, yes, yes, but I do a financial testimony when we start the financial planning engagement, and oftentimes in those testimonies, I pick up giftedness and weakness that would tell me that stocks may not be the right fit. And that sometimes can be a relief for a client to say, wow, I don't have to invest in stocks. No, no, you don't have to. Now that means you got to roll up your sleeves. You got to invest in something. But stocks may not be it for you. The, lo- the lack of control combined with the volatility, there are some personalities who are so spooked by it that they are, it is the height of wisdom for them to get into a different game. Different game. Buying illiquid assets, maybe raw land, maybe an RV park, maybe a mineral interest, but a hard asset that doesn't trade every day throughout the day. It's important to know ourselves because when we look at this hall of horrors I just read of all, all these calamities and crises that can occur, 
your portfolio will react to all these. Whereas folks in an illiquid portfolio, they don't see the volatility. It's there. If they tried to sell their asset every day, they would feel the volatility. But it doesn't show up on their balance sheet. And that's all to the good. So be willing to do the hard work of knowing yourself, having the humility to say, you know, I may not be a good fit for this stock market thing. Certainly hope to be. And I think you can move from one area to the other. I don't think there's some fixed deal. I actually think you can read some books, get some training, work with someone like me, and you can do it. People who maybe started this way don't always have to end this way. You can over time realize, yeah, you know what? I, I can do it. I get it. But when I read that list of calamities, it is another reminder of that first lesson we discussed is that don't be so sure that you can handle the volatility and that your financial goals can handle 100% allocation to equities. That may not be it. It, it may be. It may be. But what I am sensing now is, oh man, people feel like they're missing the train. They don't want to miss the train. I, I think, I think uh, index funds are a wonderful asset class. No surprise here. But if you put them in the wrong spot, you're probably not going to make it. If you borrow money against them, you're probably not going to make it. So what's going to help you make it is keeping those costs low, that investing simple, and that time horizon long, because that's what's going to give you the best shot on your investing journey. Until next time.